Hello, hello. Hello, hello, and hello. I hate this freaking audio thing. Why, why isn't there like one device that connects to a single platform that just works so well? Like if it was like Apple meets Google services in like one product, it would work so well. Like there, there has to be some sort of tool that does this. I, I'm, I'm lost for words. But anyways, uh, we'll figure out this audio crap one day. I mean, eventually it, it'll work. I know, it, it should be like just like a plug and play. You plug it in, works, no tweaking, no nothing, it's perfect. I mean, that's, that's how thing. it should be. Hardware for podcasters. I'm sure it exists <laughs> somewhere, Maybe depending well, on like the price entry and all this. If Teenage Engineering took their hardware and they made a piece of software that was just so beautiful, it matched the hardware, and it was functional and just did its job, I love that. Mm -hmm. um, but one can dream, right? Uh, anyways, how you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, I've, I've, FYI, I've, I missed the last two podcasts, man. But FYI, what do you mean FYI? I know you were there. No, I know. Them. But <laughs> I'm just saying, like it, it was. You did a good job. I think the it's interesting to see the variety of guests that have been coming on, and I think the last two guests were a good indication of, you know, the different opportunities from you know entrepreneurs to solopreneurs to you know head down designers, et cetera. So it's nice to see that breath and them coming in and sharing their experiences, getting people hyped up, sharing points of views, perceptions, et cetera. So it's nice to see that we've been able thus far to get some, I would say, pretty solid names and, and get pretty good people. And, and hopefully this is just something that grows and that we can get more and more people to come in, talk about design, how you know, design has been shaping their careers and share their point of views on the craft and career perspectives to other designers. Yeah, I think that we might end up changing the podcast a little bit because we originally started off, and everyone who's listening is familiar with this, we originally started off with this podcast being about helping designers get better at design. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this podcast does that, Okay. Let me lay out why I think that is, and you can agree or disagree with me, and, and, and we can talk about that as well. I think it's a really, you know, this is part of our building mm -hmm. public ethos, right? We wanted yeah. to make sure that what we're doing is all, most, most of the decisions, if not all, the decisions about this stuff that we're, you and I are working on, we're doing publicly. Uh, we've, you know, kind of stumbled a little bit on the framer stuff. That'll kick off, I think, next week when my, 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 my dad's coming in town for Father's Day, a week after Father's Day. Um, so, uh, I have to focus on that, but then finally I'll have downtime to just focus on releasing all that stuff. So once I get that out of the way, then I can just pop up, pop back over to Framer, whatever. But anyways, um, you know, we we we've been doing a lot of things, and I think one of our problems is that we've been focusing on a lot of things. You know, that that's a a, a strength and a weakness at the same time. And you know, this podcast itself was originally helping us grow an audience that we can then help designers get better design. And the more people that listened in, the more that we thought we could help. I don't really know how to measure the helpfulness of this. Mm. And therefore, I don't know how to actually, and you don't have to like measure every number of everything. Like, like some things are just not possible to measure numbers of, but it irks me that this podcast is a really great resource of advice and storytelling, but I think the 
the best thing about this podcast, and this might be where our niche for the podcast kind of goes, is like mindset and motivation about design. Mm. And, you know, a lot of your early articles were kind of more about that. And um, I think that, that the podcast, it's hard to teach somebody something, right? Like you can teach them a very specific, specific, specific thing about design. Like, all right, here's your decision making for design systems. You start with this component. And then, or, you know, this is how you create an audit and, and then create variations of, like, I think we can go into all that stuff. I don't know how people really love talking about that with guests. I think it's pretty like, like you can read a blog article for that. Like I think that's what the newsletter itself is better for. Mm -hmm. If you and I just wrote about tactical stuff on the newsletter and the strategic stuff in the podcast, I think that would be a good blend. But the podcast, it has more emotion to it than I think writing ever could. Because you can see us if you're watching on YouTube or Spotify if it works. And you can hear our voices, which means you kind of like feel like you're in the room with us. So it's, it's, I think, a little bit more emotional. And I want to hear your thoughts on that. Like, do you, do you agree with what I just said? Like, do you think that maybe we should take the podcast in a little bit of a direction, but like, you know, keep pushing forward on the newsletter in a certain way? Like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, you know, we set, our intent was to have a teachable moment per podcast episode. But then you realize that, especially when you have guests or even when we are in there, it's, the human connection or, you know, being that human and human isn't always about a teachable moment, right? I think sharing our point of views, conversations, that's like the human side of things. And if, if there are, is a teachable moment in there or that we can share our experiences, which helps somebody else in, in, in the wild, mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would have to agree with your statement and I think, even when you listen to different podcasts, I often like podcasts because it's motivational. It motivates me to do something different. It motivates me to see something from a different angle. It motivates me to keep going in something. So I think yeah. maybe that's, you know, we had a point of view when we started, but unintentionally, I think we gravitated towards that aspect of things where it's not like, teach something on auto layout and Figma. It's more about sharing our point of views, our expertise in something, our, how we stumbled and failed very hard on something. And in return, somebody learns from that. It either motivates them to keep going or they're going to pick that up and, and, you know, learn from it. And I think that's where we put our heart and soul and the human side of ourselves into this podcast. And hopefully it comes out in the proper way. And so I like this angle of being our unique selves in this podcast. Yeah. And I think that t talking about our struggles day to day in different specific areas of design, uh, in life, uh, telling stories and, and, and getting other guests to tell their stories. I think the thing that people get take away from it the most is that motivation and kind of strengthening that mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think there's a lot of, a lot of, opportunities that we can share uh, about that. Uh, just, just I'll leave it there. Um, but I this kind of stemmed from this conversation I had with my, uh, the co-founder of, of the company I'm working for. And he was like, he was like, why do you like do this podcast? And I was like, oh, you know, like there's three things that I can get out of it. I can make connections with people that mm -hmm. are, you know, you know in, in the know. 
and that um, that opens more doors in the future. Um, so like people that we talk to, we become friends with, and then hopefully one day, you know, we can meet up with them in person, maybe even collaborate them on projects, whatever. So like it, it opens up a lot of doors. Um, it's a good excuse to meet people. Um, I forgot like the third thing, but this, the, the, the one that I said that kind of irked you know, our co-founder was like, um, I said, we get to learn from these people. And he was like, you're not really learning from these people. And I was like, what? And he's like, you can learn of things they've done, but you're not actually learning. Learning comes from doing. And you can learn about design systems. You can learn about logo creation. You can learn about running a SaaS company um, you know, and, and paying attention to the details and figuring out how to prioritize the right things to build. You can learn about those things, but you're not really learning. You're just getting advice. You're just mm -hmm. kind of taking lessons that someone else did. And then the only way you actually learn is if you put them into practice and they fail or they succeed. And then you can look back and say, okay, here's the, 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 what I've actually learned from this implementation of something. And he didn't say it in those words. He said it in different words. But it, it made me realize, I was like, okay, I guess we're not really, like we're learning maybe about the person. Mm -hmm. But that's not really going to help anyone per se, you know, one-to-one -one for, uh, it's not like I translate one-to-one -one for like the person or guest knowledge to the listener's knowledge. So I just want to make it clear that like what we're doing is really unveiling these success and failures that others that we have on have and using that as motivation for listeners and ourselves to go off and build better things. And yeah, you can maybe learn from their lessons, their failures, their mistakes, whatever, and then you can avoid those, or you can try it out and then learn it yourself, right? But the bottom line is that we're not really in, in the traditional sense learning uh, from our guests or teaching from, to, to our listeners, in, in, in my opinion, um, which is kind of the opposite of what we started doing. Like you said before, you know, we had that moment of like, like learning. So I'll end on that. We'll see how this podcast keeps going. You know, I love doing it with you. This is so much fun. I love talking to people. And I love hearing their side of things, their perspective. And so I think, yeah, offering a different perspective to things is like the, the key behind the success of this podcast. So just a couple of things. Number one, we passed 500 subscribers on the newsletter. That's pretty cool. And I get people that are reaching out to me like independently on the side and saying, love your podcast. I'm learning, I'm getting inspired by it. And even like the chief design officer of the company I work with, who you know personally too, has reached out and said, keep going, kudos. Nice. I love what you guys are going. So, I mean, that's good. It, that's it's awesome. pretty cool to see these, <laughs> these types of things, you know, or being, you know, receiving comments on the side. We're, we're not growing as fast as, as others or whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's about having fun. It's about sharing our point of views and, mm -hmm. and you know, inspiring other people in in the field that, that that's that's awesome feedback um and i really appreciate it so thank you for, first of all thank you to everyone who's been listening and supporting us along the way and motivating us to continue doing this because we do find it awesome to hear that you like this podcast and then if you do like it we'll continue doing it if you hate it we'll figure out what to, you know change and, and make it better for you but uh second thing is we passed 120 subscribers on youtube cool so that's that was a big deal for me because it took so long to get past 100. I know. I was just like, oh my God, so many. And now we're almost at 150. 
So like, that's huge. Like to us, like to me at least, I don't know about you, but to me, you know, we're on track to hit our goals before the end of the year. And I think we wanted to hit, I mean, I don't know if we're going to hit 500 subscribers by the end of the year for YouTube, but we did hit 500 for the newsletter and we're going to continue to get that growing. I want to hit, I want to try to hit a thousand before the end of the year for the newsletter. For the newsletter? I think we can. Like I've, mm-hmm. I think the next one, I want to shorten it and come in with a different, still like constructive uh, approach, Yeah. but I want to shorten it a bit because I obviously don't want to mm-hmm. turn these into blog posts. Right. I think it wanted constructive feedbacks with the one, two, three punch in a way. Uh, but yeah, the goal of a thousand, I think is doable. I think we've, you know, it's been comp- compounding faster every week since we, you know, we started. And I think it's going to keep growing. Another, like we, I've been getting good feedback on it too on there. And I think once we get going and gain momentum on all this, hopefully the newsletter scales and, and even the YouTube scales even faster than expected at one point. And speaking of which, we've hired somebody to actually, you know, do a little test run of mm-hmm. creating introductions for each of the videos and the podcast episodes you can listen to this really catchy kind of it's not like a melody it's more of just like a like a if you ever listen to the podcast Diary of a CEO, it's kind of like that where the intro kind of goes into listening to little sound bites of them compiled yep. together and it's like questions that get cut off right before they answer it. We have that coming and make it a little bit more interesting for us and also better clips that are edited a lot better for social media. <laughs> so um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. It also saves me a lot of time editing and um, kind of scheduling all that stuff because I have to figure out, okay, what's the best thing now and whatever, if they're all done for me, I can then send them to you yep. and then we can schedule them in our Twitter scheduler app and then it just kind of goes out. So I'm really excited about all of that coming. Okay, cool. That is awesome. Let's move on from talking about our podcast and our initiatives. Let's talk about a couple of things. Let's do dribble first. Okay. So I'm going to look over here because I don't have a proper setup. As you can see, I'm still trying to figure out my setup. It's been 27, eight episodes, whatever. I still haven't figured it out yet, but still working on that. You haven't Um, mesmerized all the numbers yet? I haven't mes- mesmerized anything. I, I can barely mem- mesmerize, me- mesmerize, memorize my own. I know. Birthday. I was kidding. Yeah, I know. So, um, okay. So, it was now publicly announced, you know, that since Dribble is a public company or part of a public company, mm-hmm. that its financials are released. And this is really interesting because I don't know about you, but I grew up on Dribble, right? I was 11 years old when I joined Dribble, and I was in middle school. Or whatever it was, high school. I don't even know anymore. How old is Dribble? Eleven or twelve or something like that. How old um, is Dribble? It's pretty old. I actually don't know the name, not the answer to that. Um, if you can Google that while I'm talking, that'd be great. <laughs> um, and it was just a great time to be on Dribble because it was like people were sharing like the really cool details that no one really was doing on the web. And then once you saw it, you were able to learn and replicate it, or like ask questions about it and yep. get really good feedback back then. And then it evolved once it grew too fast with all these invites to crappy people. No, no offense. Um, yeah, they were mostly that. garbage. Um, and I'm, I'll call them out, right? Um, I have no fear about that. I think that it serves a purpose, right? I'll talk about that in a minute. But it kind of, talking about like the, the evolution of Dribble, it kind of degraded itself because it let people in that really didn't meet the standards. And I don't think I met the standard at all either, to be honest. Like I came in and I don't think I met the standard. 
But I think the people who came in kind of watered it down. And then they were like, okay, well, what can we do to get more likes and views? And that was kind of like the thing. Like, okay, what can you start getting hits on? And it was all about those, those stats instead of like the quality of the craft and like the magic behind design. Mm-hmm. And so kind of what got watered down over time. And then eventually, I believe Andrew Wilkinson, who runs an agent or a, a group called Tiny something, whatever, they, um, they bought Dribble. And it was a big moment for the industry because we're like, wait a second, this is like our home. This is like our friends. This is, you know, this is our community. Mm-hmm. What are you doing to our community? Uh, and obviously, Dribble, get, Dribble members don't have the same power as Reddit moderators who are completely destroying Reddit right now, you know, for better or worse, right? Because of the API changes. But Dribble was a very special place. And then it kind of it was like, all right, well, it's, it's now it's about money, right? And it's not like you shouldn't be about money, but the way that they went about it, I think really irked a lot of people because it it's benefit, all, all the things that they said that were supposed to be benefits actually hurt and harmed the community. Mm-hmm. And they had to issue a lot of apologies in the past about the different changes and they had to roll back things. And it kind of really screwed up a lot of trust that designers had for Dribble. Okay. Do you know the number, the, the, how old it was? 2009. Wow. Right after the iPhone. That's amazing. So first of all, we have to say kudos to the team for surviving that long. Any website, any business surviving that long is, is, is you know, well, well deserved. Yeah. Uh, secondly, though, um, can we get into some of the finances? So $62.6 million in revenue. Um, and that also stems from Creative Marketplace, which is, I guess, like the marketplace that's kind of connected somehow to, to Dribble and stuff. I'm actually and, honestly really blown yeah. away by those numbers. I never anticipated they made that amount of money. Like, never. I do. Really? Um, yeah, because they had they have more than just Dribble. Like, it's no, like, I know, I know. But... Dribble, they bought something else that, in in my opinion, was like, uh, so Creative Market. That's what it's called. Yeah, yeah. It, that know. drove more revenue. It doesn't say specifically which is the mar- more of a money maker, but Dribble is not really set up to currently. And I can think of a million ways it can. And I think we should actually give some business ideas about like how you can make money off of the thing I'm about to say. But they are not set up as a format to sell. They're they're more about now, it looks like they have some resources you can buy, like UI kits and like fonts from Dribble, whatever. But like creative market is like where you have to go to get the resources, yeah. right? So Dribble has started noticing to um, create educational resources, which is really interesting because it's going to talk about, I'll talk about this in a minute. But they made 8.1 million uh, earnings per year. So that's interesting because 62 versus uh, 8, that's pretty much of a difference. And, and I think someone did the math on here. Um, I could see in, in the, the thread uh, that John Lax, who those who don't know who John Lax is, Google him. Uh, so he said 7, 7% profit margin seems not good. Why is it so costly to run Dribble? And then this other guy who posted this whole thread was like, it's actually 13%, but still a great question. And I would agree with that. It, it seems like a very, a very small margin of profit 
versus revenue uh, for such a small company. Like it doesn't seem like that. It doesn't. I mean, it started off with two people. Remember that, and they grew it to a couple people. I don't know how many people run it now, or whatever support it, but I don't think that a website like that requires that many people. And therefore, what are they putting the resources into, right? So I, I, we don't know anything behind the scenes. I don't know any inside scoop, but that's just my take on it. So what if, but a lot of the things, like if, if it's from creative market, let's say you design something, you put it on there, Dribble keeps a percentage of the sales. They're not, right? So that's how... They probably do, but the same thing happens at Gumroad. They, they make like, up until recently, like dirt nothing like they made nothing because their business model sucked uh for them at least and then they changed it and they lost a lot of customers so we'll see how they grow again but you know uh companies that take like a portion they make enough money to survive if they're like a small company but if they become big they really need to take a lot more uh or they have to have a very high volume of people who would take percentage of and i don't think they have a lot going on there right now maybe in the future but in the future, they predict that uh, the fastest growing opportunities are education, which makes total sense uh, with the whole COVID thing, with what I, what I just said, that's kind of what Dribble's moving toward, more towards, and then fonts, via, and then they say via creative market. Because we all so need creative. other fonts on our laptops that we don't use. <laughs> okay, I'm a huge proponent about all different varieties of fonts, because to me, it's like wearing a shirt, wearing clothing. Oh yeah, like, I know, I'm kidding. You know, it comes and goes with the times, but there's something magical about matching the right font to the right feeling. And mm -hmm. it, it elicits that feeling that you can create a deeper connection with through branding, through whatever. So I prefer the the idea over, I prefer the idea of having more fonts than necessary than the idea of we can just stick to Helvetica. Yeah. My opinion. I know in the past our, our guests have talked to us about like, you don't really need all these fonts. Like I think Sarah said, like, like just pick a font and go. Like, I'm like, you know, I think finding the right font really does speak the right language. But I know, I know you agree with that. But my point is, education we know is a thing. We, we it, you and I are it, trying to do that. That's going to keep growing like a lot because I don't like, think so. I think it. Well, the what the reason I say that is a lot more people are 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 have a goal of being creators or content creators and, and sell stuff and, and promote their stuff. I think that's going to keep growing. It's going to plateau and then it's going to drop because like the amount of people rushing to creator land is significant. Mm -hmm. Just go on Twitter. Everybody's and their mom is selling something right now. So I think that's going to keep growing. Go moms. <laughs> <laughs> but it's going gonna, it's gonna to drop. It's not sustainable to have that amount of people sell stuff. And there are more and more designers out there who are self-thought. They haven't gone to like design school, all like university or whatnot. And, and a yeah. lot more are coming in. They're learning from these. More and more are coming. Is it the right approach? Another podcast. But in my opinion, <laughs> like it's going to keep growing until the yeah. end of the year. At the end yeah. of the year, it's going to drop because not everybody can live off, you know, their courses. Some do. Fantastic. Others are not going to be able to make it, unfortunately. But it, like it goes back to dribble. Dribble started off as a place for us to, it, it was, you know, when you're like, it, you, and you work in a design agency, you have that wall on Friday where you kind of post what you've been working on, on the wall and everybody comes in and like, that's so cool. I like what you, can you explain? That was like our opportunity to do this, but worldwide. Mm -hmm. 
I loved that at the beginning. Then when it turned into everything you were seeing on there, everybody was chasing likes because it was okay. And then you looked at something that that's never going to actually make it in a product. But was it just about making it in a product or it was about, you know, showing the craft or possibilities and even everybody complaining about dribble and, and the fact that that's never going to make it, you can still get inspired by what somebody did and apply it back into your design, turn it into something that's really productive. Now it's at a point where it's grown so much as, as you know, we looked at the numbers. The reason that the profit margin is lower, it's hard for us to understand or comment on. We don't have all the facts, all the numbers, right? And maybe there are, you know, markets out there where the profit margin is low yeah but that's the the way the company or the system works i don't know okay, i'm not going to so, comment so I, I i still think that it's okay for us to comment on it though because if you we were to invest in a company like that if we're trying to buy a company like that you need to know that stuff of course you want to know more yeah, about but I'd it have, as, i'd as have all can. the numbers in front of me though before right. i invest right right but like the numbers are, are public now or most of the numbers are public right yeah. and it doesn't look like a great business like and the reason it, is, it, 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 I, I, I wouldn't want that business. Let's put it that way. Is it because, like, a question, I don't, we won't have the answer, but is it because the way they was done, like, okay, let's buy this, let's buy this, let's buy this. They were never created to fit together as one business. No, I think that, that, that Andrew Wilkinson is a really smart guy. And I think that he, he definitely knows what he's doing with, with them. But I think that they've struggled because in my opinion, community pushback is, is, a, is a big thing in that. But I think they've also struggled to figure out, because they could tie very well together. And I think they were they trying to. But I think that they just have a very poor alignment of mission. And, and that seems to become a more common thing now that I see it, right? Do we, and do we know, like, you and I have worked at companies where that the leadership <laughs> team is... <laughs> scatterbrain all across everybody like this is what i'm doing i'm never going to change anything i'm doing like, like those are the little pieces nuances that we don't have which mm. could explain things you know what i mean it's like if sure. we don't have that sure like we can make assumptions and I'm, I'm happy to make assumptions on dribble and you know creative market and everything else i there's something missing in there like that the numbers are not just seeing because there's no reason that it's not more profitable in the sense that the overhead can't be that significant to run this type of company. But again, I don't know. Okay. Well, we'll end it there. But I, my opinion is with that much revenue, they should be taking more of it home. That's what I'm saying. They should be but, at 50, like 50%. Yeah, it should be at 100. <laughs> well, no, because they have to pay commission to the designers and creators on these platforms. Yeah. But 50, I think, seems decent. I mean, I would love a business that returned 50% profit. Oh my gosh. 90. But Let's anyway, 90. anyways, um, kudos to the Drupal team for you know surviving this long and oh, creating yeah. such a wonderful journey for all of us to learn and grow as designers and whatever. Of course, like I said before, I think it got watered down with the kind of stuff going on with like the, the likes, the, the crazy UIs that will never be built. But I think it's okay that like those UIs, that there's a space for those UIs to be designed and published, right? 100%. Like, ignore the whole like, I love your work, I love the color comments, like forget those. Put those aside. 
it's a great place to like show yourself. And uh -huh. even if you're bad at it, I like seeing people put their stuff out there because they can get better if they put their stuff out there. They get feedback, whatever. So even if it's not where designers that are like at a high level necessarily visually, you know, for certain things go, like great UI designers probably won't go to Dribbble anymore. Maybe for inspiration, but they don't need to go there to post their work. And that's fine. And people who are learning and people who are posting imaginary UIs that will never exist because they just aren't even functional at all, that's fine too. I think there's a spot in the internet for that. And if Dribbble mm -hmm. wants to become that, by all means, go for it. I support them in that. Yeah. But just don't pretend you're something that you're not. That's all I'll say. Okay. Let's cool. switch gears to, yes. as we all know, the episode is not going to air this week, but config was happening this. And I want to hear and your thoughts. Just thought to let you know, I have a 10 minute hard stop. That's so. okay. We'll, yeah. we'll make this quick. But okay, cool. I want to hear your thoughts. I've, I've paid attention to it. I've never attended config. Like, I wish I would. I won't. Maybe next it. year. You know what? Next year, what if we did a live podcast there? That'd be awesome. Let's see if we can hook that up. Let's, uh, I'll, I'll make some, some calls. I Let's know that I have my opinions about Figma. So maybe 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 they won't I let know. me in. <laughs> okay, so let me let me get my opinion out. Or okay, my go, thought. Go, go, go. Figma is fantastic. You know, it has does what it does. With everything I've heard yesterday or during config, through Twitter or through me listening, I have concerns. And here's a concern, and hear me out. It feels like we're adding a lot of features. And what happens when you don't have a lot of features, it's like the tool gets bloated and it gets harder to use. Are we getting there with Figma or are we only adding the stuff that people want? Okay. So I'll say this, and you might disagree with me. Listeners might hate me for this. I don't think Figma is a design tool anymore. I think Figma is a design systems tool. And we should be making tools that enhance our creativity, not, you know, um, what's the good word for it? Not inhibit our creativity. We should make tools that enhance our creativity and that don't inhibit our creativity. And right now, the focus is so much on support systems, right? building support systems for larger enterprise companies. And I love all the, the capabilities of the managing the design system now in Figma. Like, it's great for mm -hmm. that. Like, the, the variables, I love that they went with variables instead of design tokens. Very smart move. Very helpful, right? I'm sure you think it's very helpful. But it's not really meant for what I think it originally was for. Um, they're so focused on this design systems thing. I think people are starting to forget like what a design system is actually meant for. It is not the design itself, right? It is a means to get the design done. It is a means to get to market. It is a means to collaborate better, but it is not the end goal. And, and it's not it the seems, only goal. It's not the only goal, but it also seems like everyone wants, and maybe that's something we talk about in a course that we create about design systems, right? Right? Like, Maybe, you know, design systems, people should, actually should know this. Maybe we can talk about it more. But design systems is not the product. 
And it seems like this entire config was about making that design systems work, like just functionally. They did a little bit of prototyping with the variable mm -hmm. with um, conditions and whatever. That's cool. I will never use that because that is too much hooking up things for me. I don't know math like that. I don't know, you know, coding, whatever. So to me, it was kind of a, a, a big L for, for me on that. Yeah. But um, I think the design system stuff is good. It's just okay. They, they oh, and also, did you did you see uh, you did see because I told you about it. Uh, they bought Diagram. Let me give my two cents before Diagram okay. on on okay. the point because I know we have okay. five minutes left. Cool. I feel Figma is getting away from the essence in itself that it's the why it was created. It was to help us create better UIs and better product design and expanded. Now it's becoming this all-in-one designs tool, which is good. Like it does what it does. But what's funny about it is before config, everybody bitches about design systems. I hate design systems. I'm never going to use a design system. It lacks creativity. And I'll, during config, I love design system. Let's go tokens. Woo like what's going on? Like I don't <laughs> understand. Like I, and the thing is, a component library in Figma is not a design system. I mean, I, like it part of your yeah. design system. It's not the design system. Mm -hmm. It feels like the software is turning into a design system machine more than, I know it's hard to add more capabilities of it, but are we getting away from the soul essence of what that soul was at the beginning? And people are asking for so many features that we're just adding features over features over features over features. I mean, I've worked with companies like this before. It never ends well. <laughs> You're right. It doesn't end well. And I, it's hard to find that balance between adding features because you have to improve the product, but also making sure it's minimal or simple, rather, and that it, it fits into the same workflow and improves the workflow that people have or it provides a better workflow. It's always this balance that designers have, right? And trying to figure out like what is an experience that's worthy and then what's mm -hmm. an experience that needs to be enhanced and how do you support that and add things that makes it interesting and continues to grow. Like Photoshop is a great example of how this went haywire. They just kept adding things. And mm -hmm. it's this monster of a tool that has the most powerful capabilities of any design tool out there. I don't care what anyone says. Photoshop is still the OG. It is still the VIP of design tools. But, but you use what, 10% of that software? Yeah, you don't use it all because it has everything. You could do everything in it, but it's just, why? Like, mm -hmm. I don't need all those things. It's, it's like using a tractor for a nail, right? I'm trying to get, you know, build a house, but like, you don't need a tractor for every single thing. You need to switch off different tools yeah. for the right thing. And so that's, that's what I'll say about Figma. It's becoming this tractor, and I'm like, I don't need all these things. Granted, I, I need them at some times. But maybe there's a way to like separate that out somehow. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to kind of go into this conversation because we want these tools, we want these features, but we also don't always want them. We also want to focus and do the work and be creative the way that we've always been creative. And it seems like now the tools are starting to become okay. You need to learn all these things just to build this little thing. It's like, can't you do that for me? And maybe the AI stuff will help with that. So. Talk about that diagram real quick. Got, got two minutes. <laughs> All right, go. You okay. Go. So it's so interesting to me because diagram really kind of didn't, I mean, I think it did launch a couple of things, but like it yeah. really didn't launch, like really take off. 
And so I really wondered, did they succeed at building something that we haven't seen before? And, and Figma was so taken away by it that they said, we have to in integrate this to the, to, you know, to the foundation of Figma. Um, could there be something behind the scenes that we don't know about that's more nefarious and like whatever? I don't know. Um, I'm not going to speculate too much on it. But what I'll say is it was smart for Figma to buy an AI company. Do yes. I know how successful those AI models they built are? I don't know. Um, time will tell. I think t this is where time will. If I always assume that if a company buys another company like this, they have insights into stuff that we don't, or they see a potential. They see like the merging of something. They see an opportunity somewhere because there's no point. If not, well, so why couldn't Figma just do it themselves? Like, why do they have to buy maybe Diagram because that didn't even launch really much and it isn't really making, I mean, I'm aware of making that much money. They've taken VC funding, but they haven't really like made a hundred million dollars. Like, it doesn't seem like to me, like, it doesn't seem like it makes sense from an outsider perspective, but that means to me there's something inside going on that we don't yes. know about. So that's what I mean. Maybe there's the code base, there's something in but the code I don't base know that Figma a, likes. Well, I don't know if it's a good thing. Like, I don't know, like, we what's don't. happening. And is it, like, they were, like, oh, my God, we're not going to make a lot of money because we can't keep up with these things. It's too expensive. Hey, Figma, can you buy us? And then you can fund us, and then yeah. you can actually have the AI. It might be something like that. Um, I don't know. But at the end of the day, uh, Diagram, was it Jordan Singer, I think, CEO of Diagram? Uh, congrats to Jordan Singer uh on on selling his company it's it's mm -hmm. always a great thing to sell that to, to do that, that accomplishment to be able to, to build a company and then sell it awesome uh i wonder you know more details about it and again like you said we'll see in the future but mm -hmm. it's just interesting to ponder kind of like why why would figma do that if they could have done it themselves uh is it really that complicated do they have proprietary stuff that figma can't come up with do they have a moat i don't know doesn't seem know. like it to me, especially like, with the amount of kind of fishy. Especially with the amount of AI companies starting off. Yeah, I think this is where time will tell. Yeah, I mean, you can say that about everything, though, right? <laughs> is Figma gonna last All forever? Right. Time will tell. I gotta go. All right, peace out, homie. Good talk. Good talk. See ya.